Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Well, hello, friends. So let's, well, let's do this then before we get started. I mean, I guess we've started, but this is the pre-start. <laughs> Just, I'm going to count to three. That's right. You know. <laughs> I see Sharon. I see you laughing. I'm going to count to three. So get ready. Get your finger on the button to unmute. And when I get to three, everybody unmute and everybody greet each other out loud. You know, like that cacophonous sound, what happens when everyone talks at the same time. So we're going to do that. So get your finger ready to get ready to unmute. Okay, you ready? I'm going to count one, two, three. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi, Erwin. Hi, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kay. I mean, it's how can you resist smiling after that? I One time, I'm going to do a class. Nice we're just going to do that for an hey. hour. Hey. Talk over each other for an hour. It's going to be ecstatic. I remember once I was in uh, Natalie. I was in New York City and I went to Washington Square Park to be at an outdoor laughing meditation. That's what it would be like. It would just everybody would just be making this noise at the same time. I've probably some people here have probably heard this story, um, but it's so good it's worth telling. When uh, when Steven Spielberg was making The Prince of Egypt, you know that cartoon of the Exodus story, wonderful, wonderful film. Um, he was struggling to figure out how to do the voice of God, which is, which is a reasonable thing to struggle with. So the story goes, now, of course, it's a story. So I can't, I'm not here to tell you it's true, but it's the way I heard it. Um, I may even, I may actually have heard it from the horse's mouth. So it may actually really be true, but, I, but I'm not ready to, to, to pledge. Um, so the story goes, and this you could see in the credits, that, that uh, the Lord Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs uh, was a blessed memory, was a consultant to the movie. And then you could see it in the credits. So the story goes, and I think, I think now that I'm telling it, I think I did hear it from him. So I'm going to say it really happened. Um, the story goes that Spielberg called him or whatever he did, I don't know, and said that, what are we going to do with the voice of God? And the answer was, he said, and I believe this is what happened, is that Steven Spielberg had everyone working on the movie record God's lines, and then they layered them all on top of each other, and that's the voice that you hear. You hear. So I have this. I just have this feeling that uh, that when we all say hi at the same time, we're like somehow that's a little bit closer to what it sounds like to hear God's voice. So let's do it one more time. So I'm going to count to three again. Okay. Now, you know, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. <laughs> and we're going to greet each other. However you want to greet each other. Okay. Let's do it. Ready? One, two, three. Hi, Hello, everybody. Welcome. George Burns had a pretty good God voice. Can you do it? Can you do it? No, only George Burns could do it. <laughs> the first, I, I, you know, listen, it's a little unfair because some people in this room uh, know each other very well. 
And I know some of the people in this room very well. And some people in this room don't know each other maybe at all. And some people don't know me at all. But what I hope everyone's getting already is the feeling like that we're in my living room. Um, I mean, actually, we're in my garage. This is my garage. Um, I'm going to let you into a little secret. And you see, I have a, I have a background on. But that's because it's nice. But let me show you what, what actually look. This is the actual room I'm sitting in. This is my garage. But I made it a picture because it's a little bit nicer than seeing all the stuff that's hanging over here. Okay, so you're so it's not exactly my living room, but it's my garage in, in Palo Alto. And I hope that uh, that feeling you just had, hopefully, I know you felt it because I felt it, that warmth of just greeting each other. I'm hoping everybody feels that way for the next hour or so, however long we're going to go for. And and also for the for the series, you know, we've got six six sessions we're going to be together. I know not everybody can make it to every session and that's fine. Um, but uh, the goal is for it just to really feel like a place where you're welcome, where uh, what you have to say, um, however you're showing up uh, is enough, is enough. And, uh, and we, we want to, we all want to enter with a spirit, uh, with a spirit of welcome. So nice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I love that. Was that Erwin? Was that you? I was waving goodbye to my wife. She had a oh, go. Okay. okay. Someone, said, someone said nice. I liked it. Maybe it was George Burns. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So we did. So we, we, we spoke and we heard. Uh, so now just take a moment and just look. Just, just take a moment and just look at each person on the screen. And you can flash a smile at them as you look at each person and just greet them with your... Greet them with your pearly whites, or maybe I'm from England, they're a little yellow by now, but you know, give people a smile. <laughs> just really appreciate, just appreciate. I mean, here we are, right? Uh, something, something, something. I was thinking, I was walking the dog this morning. I don't know why I was thinking about today, and I thought it just came into my mind. I thought it's just a miracle. Just a miracle, you know, and then I thought, you know, because it's my nature, I thought, well, well, I have to define what's a miracle, you know. So one definition I think of a miracle is something that if it happened at some other time in history, it would have been unimaginable and considered utterly impossible. Right. That's one definition of a miracle. Right. So think about this. Right. For the previous. I don't know. What is it? Fourteen point eight billion. You know what it is? There's another miracle. Here's another miracle. Uh, I had my Bluetooth on on my computer. And my wife is upstairs and she put on her AirPods and it snatched the sound away, you know. So anyway, I'm just thinking like it's all so it's all miraculous. I mean, like, what is that? Somehow my wife took the sound away upstairs. I mean, it's just amazing. So I don't know. I just want to I want to say that as well by way of introduction while we look at each other. And, and uh, you know, I don't I, what did, what did people say? You know, we got we got Denver, Colorado, and Phoenix, Arizona, and Portland, Oregon, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Lafayette, Louisiana, and I don't know where else. Palo Alto, Santa, Santa Monica, California. Thank you, Santa Monica. Anywhere else, folks? Montreal, Canada. Okay, all right, north of the border. Love that. Anywhere else? Lewis, Delaware. Look at this. So you know we have a, you know. The Jews have a way of marking this kind of recognition, right? You know the words, right? It goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam shehechianu v'kiyimanu v'higiyanu lazman hazeh. Right? Blessed are you, Adonai, 
right? Whatever that is, the great mystery that seems to just keep this whole thing going, shehechianu, that gives us life, can't take for granted, v'kiyimanu, and lets us linger here. We just, we get a little bit longer. You know, I'm sitting here, I keep this picture right here on my desk. You can, maybe you can see. It's a picture on, on September 12th, 2001. I was a chaplain at Ground Zero for 11 hours, and I found this picture and I couldn't find the, the person in the picture, so I kept it. But this guy showed up to work that morning, you know, the day before. And, you know, his Vikiyimanu was probably, you know, not that long. So here we are. We take a moment and appreciate that. Vahigiyanu Lazmanazem brings all of us from all over the place through this inexplicable thing called Zoom uh, to this moment in time. And I don't know about you, but I'm inclined to say amen. So here, let me talk a little bit about what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to say some things. Hopefully you'll say some things. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I proceed with trepidation. There's a wonderful teaching in, in Pirkei Avot, which is, you know, one of those great wisdom texts of the Jewish tradition. You know, it says that there are seven traits of a wise person. The first of which is uh, not speaking in the presence of those who are greater in numbers and wisdom. So I'm I'm nervous because uh, uh, because I'm on I'm on the I'm on the low end of that scale in terms of both categories. Uh, and so I, anything I have to say is um, is like uh, it's not final. It's just it's just what I'm thinking about. You know, like I'm kind of opening my mind a little bit and and my heart too. And I'm just kind of letting you in, but I hope you'll do the same to me and we'll do the same with each other. You know, to some extent, this sh should be a conversational, although I'm not in denial about my location in the room. Um, so uh, so I'll say some things and we'll, we'll talk a little bit and um, and we'll we'll go. At this kind of a pace, you know, we're 12 minutes in, so. If you're feeling impatient, then then we just have to you just have to unwind a little bit. You know, we'll go slow. We have six sessions. We're we're in no rush to get anywhere. Um, and uh, I'm certain I'm going to learn something. I hope you do too. Um, but uh, but anything we learn, I'm convinced of this. Anything we learn is is uh, only going to be a revelation in the sense that we knew it already, but we just got reminded of it. You know, it's like that's the definition of a revelation, right? It's astounding and obvious at the same time. So so that's the thing. So anytime, I, you know, I say something or someone else says something and you just it doesn't seem like something you remember knowing to be true. I hope you'll raise your hand and say, excuse me, <laughs> and we'll work it out together. You know, we'll work it out together. We'll kind of unpack it and, and we'll, we'll figure out what's going on. Um. So that's that's the uh, that's the the mode. I'll say some things. You'll say some things. We'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit. You know, that's kind of how it'll go. Um, I'll have some slides. The slides are just there, kind of as a guide. It's like the score. Um, they have very bright backgrounds intended to keep you awake. Uh, and um, um, and we'll take it from there. Any, uh, I don't know, any, anyone has a question or a concern or anyone want to say anything, anything you feel like you got to get off your chest right now. Let's just take a moment. If you're not sure about what it is we're doing. 
Okay. I, I, I'm going to uh, nod if what I'm about to say is correct. I'll take your silence to be a sense that I should continue. Is that correct? Okay, good, good, lovely. All right. So here we go. Okay, so this is our, uh, this is our topic. This is our topic, okay? Practicing Judaism in the 21st century, rereading the Torah as a spiritual handbook. Um, and I came up with that title six months ago, and so it's, it's been on my mind now for six months. And I'm gonna, I, at the time that I proposed it, I didn't know what it meant. I spent the last six months thinking about what it meant, and I'm going to kind of share that with you. Um, and then we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, let me just tell you about this, this session. Here's the outline. Here's what we're going to cover, uh, to which I make no commitment. I mean, if it looks like time is moving on, it could be that session one is all six sessions. I, I don't yet know, but this is what I had in mind for this for this session. We'll see. So we did the welcome. Everybody did well there. Thank you. Um, I'm basically, going to just define terms. You know, I'm going to just I'm just going to unpack the title, right? What do I mean by practicing Judaism in the 21st century? What do I mean, what do I mean by practice? What do I mean by practicing Judaism? And what what do I have to say about the 21st century? And then rereading the Torah as a spiritual handbook, I'm going to, what, what, what is the Torah? Um, what does it mean to read the Torah? And uh, what are spiritual handbooks? And then, again, I don't know if we'll get to all this today. And if not, we'll just pick it up next week. And then we'll do practice zero. Uh, practice zero, which is essentially the, the, the kind of foundation for everything that we're going we're gonna to do. So that's the outline. Um, Give you a clear sense of where we're going, what we're going to cover. Um, and uh, so let's do it. Okay, so practicing Judaism in the 21st century. So let's talk about practice. You know, people have a, a people who have a, I, I don't know if people have a sporting interest here, but we'll watch professional basketball, but there's a, I, I didn't include it. Maybe I'll bring it next time. There's a wonderful, clip that was well known amongst fans of basketball with Alan Iverson uh, raising the question about the importance of practice. Um, and it's a funny piece. He's very funny in it. He's very funny. And he had quite a personality, but the, but the, the, the essence of what he was saying was that like practice is not important. It's the playing of the game. That's important, you know, um, to which I say, oi, nebuch, Alan Iverson, boy, did you not, did you not get it, you know, <laughs> practice. <laughs> um, so let's talk about practice. What is practice? So I'm going to rely on, um, on my trusted uh, Oxford English Dictionary, right? Here are the kind of four major categories. The, the, the entry in the OED is, is very long. It's an, it's a, it's an old word, and it has, it has usages in a, in a lot of different contexts. Um, so first definition in the, in the OED is a practice is something to be pursued or be engaged in, right? A particular occupation, a profession, a skill, or an art. And already you're probably, your mind is probably doing that thing where you're like, oh, oh sort of, you know, you're thinking about your own profession or your occupation or an art. And you say, oh, so maybe I have a practice, right? So practice is to, to pursue or be engaged in a certain occupation profession, skill, or an art. That's the first definition. Second definition, to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly 
or regularly in order to acquire, improve, or maintain proficiency. Okay? It's interesting that these, are, these, are, these two are different, right? That they're separate. Just because you pursue or are engaged in a certain occupation doesn't necessarily mean you have acquired, improved, or maintained the proficiency, right? Because that's, that's definition number two. To perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to acquire, improve, or maintain proficiency. Number three, to observe a religious duty, to perform a rite, to carry out the teachings of a particular religion, to be an active observer of a faith. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in England as a kid, you would say, do you practice Judaism? I don't know if that's said in America or not. I don't, I don't, I don't hear that very often. In I've been in the States 22, 23 years, I don't hear a lot of people talk about practice. I hear observant, observance, but not practicing as much. But when I grew up, that was the word people used. Okay, three, four, uh, to act habitually. Okay, these are the four ma major uh, categories of definition in the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, so um, I, I'm not interested in all of them for the sake of this, this, this course. Uh, I'm not interested in uh, pursuing or engaging in a particular occupation, profession, skill, or art. And I'm not interested in observing a religious duty or performing a rite or carrying out the teachings of a particular religion or to be an active observer of a faith. I'm not interested in those definitions. What, what I'm interested in is performing activities or exercising skills repeatedly or regularly in order to acquire, improve, or maintain proficiency. And I'm interested in, in acting habitually. We might say in one word, uh, I'm interested in practice as like training. That's what I'm interested in. Uh, that's the kind of practice that, that I, I, I want to be talking about. And, and when I talk about practicing Judaism in the 21st century, that's what I mean, right? Um, you know, if I meant observing a religious duty or performing a rite, or et cetera, et cetera, I, I could say, you know, go to synagogue on a Saturday morning, right? I'm not against going to a synagogue on a Saturday morning, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? If I was talking about pursuing a particular occupation, profession, skill, or art, I might say, you know, be a, become a cantor, right? But I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about proficiency and habituation, training, training, okay? And then I'll add my own definition. It's interesting that it's not, it's not present in the lengthy Oxford English Dictionary definition, and that is to prepare for something. Practice is a preparation for something. Okay? So that, that's what I mean by practice, right? Now, I said to you that, uh, you know, I, I remember hearing that word in, in the Jewish context when I was a kid in England, but I haven't heard it again for a very long time, um, the word practice came has come back to me in the last five, six, seven years, maybe a little bit longer, um, and uh, this may be familiar to some people, through my encounter with Buddhism. Uh, anyone that's, that's, you know, checking out mindfulness or meditation, you hear that word practice all the time. It's a very, very common word that's used to describe kind of meditation and other Buddhist types of practices. Um, let me give you an example uh, of, of how it's used. So this is from uh, 
This is from a wonderful book by Sylvia Borstein called That's Funny, You Don't Look Buddhist. Uh, Sylvia is a, a kind of um, influential Jubu. Um, she lives up here in the Bay Area. And so she wrote a book and in it, she was trying to think about why are Jews so interested in Buddhism? So she asked this question, why are Jews so interested in Buddhism? And she cites this answer from, a, from an interesting uh, chap named Jonathan Omerman, who just died uh, this year. Jonathan Omerman was a kind of mystic, he lived in LA. Um, and he answered this question, why are Jews interested in Buddhism? He said, because, because it's a complete, mature, sophisticated spiritual path, okay? And Borstein writes, Jonathan's answer, dramatic enough to almost end the conversation, was closest to the truth. The Buddhism that had come to the West offered a clear explanation for, for suffering and tools for the direct personal realization of a peaceful mind. It required practice. There it is. Practice, not affiliation. It was a great spiritual path. It promised transformation, right? So right here, right? It required practice, not affiliation, right? So it's it's actually that my, my kind of focus around this notion of practice has kind of been sharpened through my encounter with Buddhism. And in fact, I would say that the encounter with Buddhism has actually has kind of in some ways uh, helped me appreciate uh, Judaism in ways I hadn't I hadn't before, which uh, which leads me to this lovely story I like to tell. By the way, I put it up on the screen because I know some people learn better by listening, but some people need to read along. So I want to make sure everybody's included. So maybe you know this story about Isaac of Jekyll, right? So here, I'm, gonna re I'm reading from here. A rabbi from Krakow once dreamed that he should go to Prague to find a hidden treasure buried under a bridge, right? So in Prague, far away from home, he found the bridge guarded by a Christian who laughed at him for believing in dreams. He, the Christian, after all, had had a similar dream, which told him to go to Krakow, where he would find a treasure buried behind the stove of a rabbi named Isaac, the son of Jekyll. The rabbi said nothing but hurried home, for he was Isaac, son of Jekyll, and the treasure he had sought in a distant land was in fact buried in his very own home. And this last line is from the author. It's not in the story. But, and this is the key to the story, such a treasure could only be discovered and fully appreciated by a trip to a distant land, and it's foreign, in this case, Christian culture. Um, let me give you the story in a word in, in one very pithy sentence uh, from Max Muller, right? He who knows one knows none. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, you have to go outside to come back in. You know, if you've only ever, maybe you know this in, uh, in, in, in Bible studies, there's this lovely thing called a hapax legomenon. You know what, anyone know what a hapax legomenon is? <laughs> A hapax legomenon is a word that only appears once in the Hebrew Bible, a uh, Hebrew word. There are a few of them. And the problem with a hapax legomenon is there's no way of knowing what it means. <laughs> right? So, so similarly, someone who's only ever existed within the context of a single religious tradition actually has no way of understanding what it's about. Right. Because because that acts as a kind of a hapax legomenon for them. Right. That's what Max Muller meant. He or they or she. Right. No. He who knows one religion knows none. Right. So 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 this idea of practice, what I want to say is I'm focusing here for the for the for this whole course on proficiency, habituation and preparation. And what I'm saying is, is that I, I came to this 
from outside of the of the Jewish tradition. I, I came to this through my engagement with uh, with Buddhism, and I'm grateful for it, and uh, and I encourage it. Um, so that's practice. By the way, in in Western Buddhism, all of this would be uh, would be uh, distilled to one word, and it's right here, and that would be skill. Right, the, the Western Buddhist term for that is becoming skillful. Um, so when I talk about practice, I'm interested in becoming skillful. Okay. What about practicing Judaism? Okay, before we go to practicing Judaism, anyone have anything you want to say about practice? Anything that's coming up? Any clarification questions? Yeah, I would just add, <clears throat> um, practice is pretty fundamental to modern psychotherapies, um, particularly in the behavioral and the cognitive behavioral tradition um, and the parent training tradition, that uh, we do a lot of that work. And we have a saying in the work, the home practice is the program. Uh, it's not insight, it's the practice and the application. Um, so, um, and there's a neuroscience correlate of that, which is uh, neurons that fire together, fire together, wire together. Uh, which is kind of a truism um, that through practice, you gain proficiency because you're programming your mind. Um, so um, it's not just Buddhism, though Buddhism is very rich in that. Um, it's very much modern, modern behavioral science as well. Great. I appreciate that, Erwin. Um... It's good to know. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Please tell, tell me how to pronounce it. Iglea. Iglea, go ahead. Okay, so I just wanted to throw in also, um, you might be getting into this in your next section though, but practice also depends on the person because whatever like, you know, I mean, there are times when certain ways of practicing whatever skill, they'll work for one person, but they won't work for the next person though. So practice also has to be an individualized yeah yeah i appreciate that yeah so we kind of have a have a sense of the terrain that's great but by the way actually i want to go back to what owen said owen said it's not just buddhism by the way as as a rule uh i'm, I'm suspicious of any claims that a truth is found in one place <laughs> you know there's a wonderful one that wonderful text in the talmud that says um you know the word for for falsehood in Hebrew is sheker, the three letters shin, kuf, resh. And in the Hebrew alphabet, they're, they're all next to each other. They're right next to each other. And the Hebrew word for truth is emet, aleph, mem, taf. And aleph is the beginning of the alphabet, and mem is in the middle, and taf is at the end. And the teaching is very simple, right? It's true when you find it everywhere. It's a lie when you only find it in one place. So I really appreciate that you said that, Owen. And... Uh, um, yeah, I just think I just think uh, Buddhism was the tradition that was able to like hammer into this into this uh, thick skull, you know. But uh, psychotherapy works too, I hear. <laughs> okay, practicing Judaism. All right. So I just I, I want to I, I guess I should I should set this up. The only thing I want to say is um, what I'm going to propose is 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 a why for practicing Judaism. Like why why would we engage in this? I mean, what, what's What's its uh, function? You know, there's a lot of books out there. You know, why be Jewish? Why do Jewish? You know, you can read those books. You know, and, and another kind of general rule is if you have to write a book to explain something, you probably have the wrong answer. You know, <laughs> because there's, 
I mean, I don't want to sound overly anti-intellectual, but I, I, I sometimes do have that tendency, you know. Um, I think it's quite simple, you know. Uh, why practice Judaism is kind of like, you know, why be human? So I, I have a, a basic notion of, of my own answer to, to, to that question. And there's, there's two parts to it. The first is I, I, I like this, this uh, articulation of it, but we could have many others. You know, this is that moment in the Jacob story, right? So in the... Right. Judaism is, is funny this way. You know, one of the things that Buddhism and Christianity has over most other world religions is that the name tells you which personality to pay attention to, to get like the core teachings of that tradition. Um, you know, Islam and Judaism and Hinduism, they, they don't really do. You don't know where to look exactly, you know. Um, so in case it wasn't clear to you, I mean, I think actually. I think a lot of folks, if we did, if we did a poll right now, you say, you know, who is the personality to pay attention to in the Jewish wisdom tradition? If you want to understand the core teachings, I think a lot of people would say Moses. Um, I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people would because he, you know, he gets a lot of real estate in in the Torah. Um, but I think that that's not the case. I think that the the, the character, the, the narrative character, and it's too bad that these are all dudes. Of course, you know, it'd be nice to kind of get a little bit more diversity of variety but you know that's why we read more contemporary stuff to kind of fill out you know the gaps um but uh but clearly to my mind the character is 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 jacob and and the reason that's clear of course is because judaism wasn't always called judaism right at some point it was called uh you know b'nai yisrael or yisrael or israel right which is which is the name that that jacob receives and so there's this right jacob's story it's the same as you know, similar to, you know, stories uh, across traditions is basically a, a story of self-discovery, spiritual awakening, et cetera, et cetera. And you have this moment, Vaikat Yaakov Mishnato, and Jacob awoke from his sleep. I mean, you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to pull in awakening, you know, uh, from a back pocket. It's right here, right? He woke up, Vayomir, um, and he said, Right. Surely Adonai is in this place. And I did not know. Right. So. So why practice Judaism first? First. Um, is to is to wake up, by the way. Right. And it doesn't matter. We, we, we'll get to this in future sessions. But right now, it doesn't matter what Adonai means or what the content of this awakening is. Or that, that's that's for another time. But just just from a generic point of view, wake up, wake up, you know, um, that's the first thing. And then once you wake up, <laughs> right? Once you wake up, the the right, the, the summum bonum, you know, the ultimate ethical goal of the tradition, right? Limdu Hatev, Dirshu Mishpat. And there are many other examples. Dirshu Mishpat, Ashri Khamot, Shiftu Yatam, Rivan Do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, judge on behalf of the orphan, represent the widow, right? That's it. That's it, right? Wake, wake up, do good. Um, it doesn't mean there might not be, it doesn't mean that there aren't other things that you, that you might benefit from engaging in, in Jewish life. There may be, but, but, but those are corollary or, you know, or, or outcomes, not goals, right? The goals are, um, wake up, do good, wake up, do good. Okay. Okay. That's the second part. Anybody, anybody against that? Wake up, do good. Anybody want to say, hell no. <laughs> So practice, right? Become skillful. Practice Judaism, wake up, do good. 21st century. 
what's different about the 21st century? I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but, uh, but it's looking bad. It's looking bad. Maybe the worst it's ever been, right? I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's pretty darn bad, right? Um, and, and, in, and in our lifetime, everybody on this call, in our lifetime, it's going to get worse. It will not get better during the lifetime of anybody on this call. In, in total. And that and and this data is just relative to the human species, of course, right? We don't, we don't even have to go into the larger impact on uh on the on the biosphere, right? Um so it, you know to I guess I guess to just just lean on Hillel for a moment, right? If not now, when? I mean this is uh we're all on the Titanic folks. Um <laughs> which doesn't mean that there aren't good things. Doesn't mean there isn't opportunity to find wonder and joy in the world, but uh, in the context of wake up, do good, there isn't a diminishing amount of good to be done. There's there's an increasing need. There's an increasing need, and that's right, Shelby. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I opened the New York Times this morning to to see somehow New York City looks like you know San Francisco halfway through the summer, right? So we're living in it. We're living in it, right? We're living in it. And everybody knows, right? I mean, to go back to the first part of, of why Judaism, the wake, the wake up part, you know, uh, you know, one of the one of the key uh, uh, practices for for waking up is is realizing you're going to die. We we know that. Um, it's just it's just. Uh, I mean, that's why that's why I keep this chap on my desk every day. I spend most of my day looking at this person, and I don't want to forget. You know. Um, and and people I'm sure are aware the literature around near death experiences is 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 vast. Um, so uh, now, of course, the irony is I don't know if it's irony, but I I'm using that word um, is that uh, nothing really changed, right? We were gonna we were gonna die before, and and we're gonna die now. Um, uh, the, the difference is, is that we're going to be faced with more suffering than we have before. I mean, if we're, if we're fortunate, maybe if you're on this call, you're, you're one of those fortunate people, you'll be able to avoid the worst of the effects of climate change, and let alone all the other things in the world, a billion people living in extreme poverty, less than a dollar ninety a day, you know, 100 million permanent refugees who will never settle ever in their lives. Um, and the list goes on. Um, but uh, even for those of us that, that may be fortunate or privileged uh, uh, for no good reason uh, to avoid the worst of it, you know, we, we will have to bear witness to it. We have to bear witness to it. And so, uh, and so you know, that's, that's why the 20th, 21st century. I mean, the other reason why the 21st century is because it's now. Because it's now. You know, so uh, so if you're not awake, wake up, wake up. Uh, and if you need someone to come over and shake you, just let give me your address. I'll come. I'll just shake you. I'll just shake you. <laughs> wake up, okay. So that's the uh, right. That's the that's the that's the headline of the of the of the class: practicing Judaism in the 21st century. Um. 
we're at the 45 minute mark. So I'm actually tempted to kind of pause there a little bit. Maybe we can maybe we can enter into conversation because I think if I push into the second half, it'll be rushed and we could do that part. We could do that part next time. Let's see. But um, let me pause there and see how people are feeling, what people are thinking, what's coming up. Yeah, Catherine. Well, you are so young. You're really a baby and I'm old. And maybe I have another perspective because of that. Not another perspective, just a, a little deviation. One, uh, our faith is a living faith. All faiths are. I absolutely agree about uh, having different faiths, though I was brought up in one. Um, uh, I wanted to say that I Climate change is a terrible problem. AI is a terrible problem. Taiwan and, and Ukraine is a terrible problem. But if we, we had this meeting in Germany in 1936, we'd have a lot more problems about going out. And so we've always faced problems. And as long as we live our faith and we strengthen it to live at the times we're faced with, I have a much more positive outlook about getting through it because yes. it has shown us our people have and the human race has. So I try to say positive. Is that okay? Well, <laughs> first, first of all, is what you think and feel. So it's definitely okay. And second of all, I'm so grateful that you, that you shared it and uh, it's uplifting and I believe you. It pays to be old because we reflect from whence we came when you've had a long life. So I've lived through uh, the polio academic, uh, just post-war. I've lived through the wars in Israel, in the Middle East. I've worked Africa, also war situations. I'm now in Canada and woke up this morning to alerts because uh, we have the fire uh, fires in the forest and it's not good to go out if you have respiratory. And most of our smoke is going down to New York and South. And so um, what I'm trying to say is all through my life, uh, it's been a long life, but we've lived with problems and we, we get through it and our faith is instrumental. I mean, I firmly believe that. And it's the greatest miracle as you were saying before, that we can give our children and each other uh, because it's it's the last thing we have when everything's taken from us. Amen. Shelby. I um, appreciate Catherine's input. Uh, interestingly, I end up saying that to my mother. My mother's 87, who has probably lived around the same amount of time where I keep saying to her, you lived for a world war. How can this be the worst time in the world? I mean, you, um, but as, at the end, when you said, Catherine, that the, our faith is what gets us through this, um, I, I do see some differences now because we're, we're killing our planet, um, which is something that's never happened. But, but I think going to what you were talking about, practicing and, and what's the point, um, it's, it's what we do here and who we are that gets us through it. I can't solve the world's problems. I can't solve climate change, but I can, I can try to walk through the world in a way 
that makes it livable for me. Okay, I wasn't trying to, Natalie, are you sure that you're not? Okay, all right. So I actually did not live through a lot of things like world wars and everything, but I am a history professor. So I have to actually teach people about those sorts of things. <laughs> so, and it's not pretty to actually have to tell a bunch of undergrads about, yeah, it's not a pretty sight. Um, one of the things though that does concern me though, is that um, like I see a lot of apathy out there, a lot, a lot of apathy. And so here's where I'm going to go with this. Now, take it though, I was someone who went through a very long phase of just religion hostility, okay? <laughs> I had to stop that. But anyway, though, that was something I had to stop. But how would we reach people who are either apathetic or religious, religion hostile, like I was, with, with our practice? How does our practice reach them? Do you, do you have a thought about that question? Um, my thought is that, well, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that, um, I don't want to say lead by example, but our examples actually do matter to someone. Now, I sit there and look at classrooms of people who don't actually care, and I'm the one giving the grades, and they still, and they pay to blow me off, give me the brush off, but um, I mean, there's always, it's, I'm not going to you know, not have those lectures about world wars and stuff like that, and then actually go into the hard questions about them. I think that it's a slow and painstaking process though, but you might reach people on an individual level with your own individual practice. Um, you know, tikkun olam or, you know, stuff like that. Basically though, you but it's one of those things we have to be prepared for it to be a very slow process. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And um, um, I don't think you need it, but, uh, but I'll offer my encouragement that you, that you do that thing that you just said, because it sounds like it sounds true to me. Okay. Well, I think this is a, this is a good start. You, 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 you get the, uh, you get the terrain. I hope folks will, will, will come back because it, this like uh, it's an onion, but it won't make your eyes sore. You know, we got to peel it back. We got to we're going to kind of move through these things, and uh, and we'll, we'll start to kind of understand uh, you know the direction we're moving in. But uh, here, here's a little um, to close with this. A little uh, I don't want to say homework because I know that people come out in hives when they hear homework. But something you could think about, something you could think about between now and next week um, is uh, what's, what's one thing you could practice to kind of cultivate some skill in the areas that we've been talking about, which is one thing um, that you could just, you could just say, I'm going to work on it for just this week, this, this week, very small, very focused. And even while I'm talking about it right now, you could be thinking about it. You know, maybe it's, I'll just give some, some simple examples, you know, like, can I make sure that I greet the barista with, you know, real attention and care and concern, you know, really acknowledge them while they're standing there all day and, you know, making my coffee at minimum wage, you know, like, well, how can I be in that moment? Or, um, um, or, uh, you know, um, just 
just in my workspace or in my family, you know, can I just be more attentive uh, or aware to use Natalie's word about, you know, how I'm, how I'm meeting the world, what, what kind of, maybe to use Aglaia's word, what kind of example um, am I, uh, am I setting? I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm certain we probably, everyone on this call still has some room to, <laughs> there's always something we can work on. I think maybe not you, but certainly me, plenty to work on. So, so now I've, I've kind of set, that's the homework is just, just think of one thing. You could do it or not do it. There's no grade. It's okay. It's up to you. Don't, and you don't have to feel bad if you don't do it. None of that, but just to, to invite you to think of one thing that you want to try to practice for this next week. And if you can think of that one thing, maybe when we get off the call, maybe you would write it down as something about the contractual nature of writing something down. And then just, and then just considering, you know, when will I have the opportunity to do this once today, once tomorrow, once the next day. And uh, who knows, maybe, maybe next week, some people will, will, will check in and share uh, what it was like. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But let, let's give that a shot, and then uh, and then we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back next week. Um, let's just end. We'll take a moment. Just kind of uh, let all of this settle. And you know, we started with the Shehechianu. Um, so you have to end. You know, there is there's this old tradition that I think has been lost in mo- in many parts of the Jewish world that. Uh, it's related to the drinking of wine. So uh, if you if you have a uh, if you you know you know this on a maybe on a Friday night or on a holiday in the evening sometimes there's a blessing made over the wine. Um, so if a if a nicer bottle of wine uh, makes its way to the table after you said the blessing, uh, you would say another blessing over it. You would say the Shehechianu blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if another bottle comes that's even better and you didn't know was coming and it's a real surprise, obviously by now, you know, hopefully you're still sober enough to say a blessing with a clear head. But, uh, but there's, a, there's a third blessing and the third blessing goes like this. And maybe this is inspired because I, I didn't know that, that this blessing would come up. I feel like it was inspired by Catherine. So thank you for what you shared. The blessing goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hatov vehametiv. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of all of this, the good who makes good. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.